Excellent. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mel. Why don't you everybody take a seat? I'm afraid my props are not as exciting as Joe's. Joe's had money and a pipe and a bucket. Though you were wrong. Some dry money does add to your life. Well, well cake has definitely added to my life over the years. So there you go. It is true. It's true, isn't it, Andy? Isn't it, Andy? Yes, true. It's ignoring me. Anyway, a very, very warm welcome. And for all you guys online, thanks for being online. If you're on a holiday, we are a little jealous, if we're really honest. But we do hope you're having a good time. And uh, come back soon. And gather in the Northeast, great to have you online. Anybody else from anywhere around the entire world? It's quite cool, isn't it? We've no idea who we're talking to um, when we have online. It is good to be here. If it's your first time, a very, very warm welcome. Thank you for coming. And church, let's make sure everybody who comes has an amazing experience the very first time they come. Let's never forget to buy them coffees and cakes and all that kind of thing. And uh, make sure they feel very, very special. This evening, I want to talk on a subject that's something that is very close to all our hearts, hopefully. And the subject is, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? And that's your title for the, for the evening. And... Um, in the Bible, three times it's recorded, Jesus asked his disciples, we presume it's the same instant, and um, he asked his disciples, who do people say I am? So I'm going to read the one from Mark, Mark chapter 8, verse 23. It says this, Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, who do people say I am? Who am I? Who is Jesus? They replied, some say John the Baptist, he'd just been killed. So I don't know why they were saying that, because obviously John the Baptist had been alive at the same time as Jesus. It's a bit of a weird statement, really. People got the timelines all mixed up, but some people thought it was John the Baptist. Some people said Elijah. Now, Elijah was an Old Testament prophet, and it had been prophesied that he would come back to make way for the Messiah, the one who's going to come and rule Israel and make it free again. And some people say, well, it doesn't seem like he's going to be the ruling and doing that. So perhaps he's Elijah, the prophet before. I mean, it's a reasonable one, that one. I thought it's a reasonable And And then still others, one of the other prophets or another prophet. And then he says this, what do you think about it? What about you, he asked. What do you say I am? And... Uh, Peter jumped in. We have no idea if any of the disciples wanted to say anything because Peter got... Do you know people like that? Just jump straight in. Don't give anybody else a chance. Well, that's Peter. Peter said, you are the Christ. And Mark very simply recalls that Jesus says, please don't tell anybody about that. In other of the versions, he says, that's a word from God that Peter's just received. So I am that, but please don't tell anybody. The reason being was um, uh, Jesus then went to explain he was about to go to the cross and get killed, and that was not what they'd be thinking. So it wouldn't quite work out yet. So don't tell them yet. Not don't tell them, but don't tell them yet. But who is Jesus? Now, if you've been a Christian long enough, I hope that you've chatted to people who aren't Christians, right? And you brought up the subject of Jesus along the way. I hope you've done that. If you're a Christian and you haven't managed to do that yet, that's your challenge for this week. Go and share something about Jesus. And it's amazing the responses you get. And uh, even though we live technically in a Christian country... And technically, uh, our religious studies should teach everybody about Christ because he was the founder of Christianity. It's not, for me, not 
a little surprising, but not too surprising. Occasionally, you, you, you talk to people and they say, I have no idea. You see, students at school don't always listen. Now, I'm sure all of you in here were perfect students and listened very carefully in all your subjects. Actually, I'm pretty sure you didn't. But some people don't know. And they, they say, who is he? And actually, that's a brilliant answer. Who is he? And we get a chance for the very first time to explain who Jesus is, our Lord, Savior, and friend. So I actually really like people that say that. It's like a blank canvas that we get to paint on. And so if somebody says that, don't go, oh my goodness, they've never heard of Jesus. Go, that's amazing. I have a blank canvas to explain who Jesus is with nothing complicating their perspective of him. But some people are like, other people are saying, well, yeah, I've heard of him a little bit, did a bit of RE, did a bit of something like that. And um, some of those kind of people think, well, yeah, he's real. But actually, quite a lot of people who say that think he's a fable, you know, a bit like... Um, you know, one of the old gods like Thor or one of the Roman gods, one of those that kind of think is a bit fabulish, not real, just a, like a film character. And it's surprising that people think that, but it's, it's true. Now, don't worry. Your first job when that happens is to actually tell them he's a real person. <laughs> he did actually walk on the earth. He's not this kind of mysterious kind of legend he is actually a real person. And most people, most people go, oh, I didn't realize. And then you have another blank canvas to tell your story. And then some people, and I think these are the most difficult, who is Jesus? They say, well, I, I, I know he's a real person. And um, I know he founded Christianity. Oh, he's a significant historical figure. He did lots of teaching, miracles and stuff. Some of them will even say, I know that Christians claim that he came back to life. Obviously, they don't believe that at this stage, but they make this claim. And uh, I always take the chance to fill in the gaps. Do you know they spoke about 40 parables? No. So you need to know your parables so you can get some they don't know. Do you know he did 23 different healings? Do you know that? He did nine commands over the forces of nature, like still storms, walked on water, the coolest of all miracles. Coolest of all miracles, yes. And uh, yeah, would be so cool, wouldn't it? So cool. Bless Peter. Managed to do that. Anyway, raised two people from the dead. Now, these are just the miracles that we know about. right? He probably did a lot more than that. In fact, the Apostle John, as you know, at the end of his gospel says that if the whole world was available and we wrote lots of books, all the books would fill the whole world and some as well. But who is he? Great moral teacher, prophet, long-awaited prophet Elijah, our great leader. Well, some people, not many, but some people are actually thinking about actually who is Jesus. In fact, you might be online tonight and you're asking the question. You're kind of being anonymous. You're kind of on there. You're not really chatting, but you've got this question. You've kind of, you're listening in or perhaps you've come in the room or you've got a friend who you bring who's asking the question, but somebody's asking the question and they're really genuinely thinking about it. They know something about him, not everything, but they know something and they're thinking about who is he? Well, Jesus claimed to be God. In John chapter 40, well, let's start in John. In John chapter 10, is that all right, guys? I've just messed my Bible verses up. John chapter 10, verse 30. Jesus is, is talking to the Jews. And um, he says, John chapter 10, verse 30, he says this. He says, um, 
My father has, who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them from out of my father's hands. I and the father are one. Quite a claim. I and God and me are the same thing. Well, one. And it says this, because the Jews knew exactly what I just said. So the Jews, again, the Jews picked up some stones to stone him because that's what you do for people who claim to be God. But Jesus said to them, I have shown you many great miracles from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? In John chapter 14, he, um, he's talking to his disciples and he says this, John chapter 14, verse 9. He says, um, Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Why? Because me and the Father are the same. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own words. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that the Father, that, that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on me, the evidence of the miracles Myself. He claimed to be God. And the early church believed this to be so. And uh, you need to remember Colossians chapter 1 in your heads. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. If you can just remember Colossians 1, you will quickly get to verse 15. So don't worry. Paul writes this about Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood on the cross. He claimed to be God. The early church believed that he was God. And um, C.S. Lewis, well, and other authors as well, but C.S. Lewis most famously, says that when you're considering, and people have to figure this out about Jesus, because he was a real person, right? You have to figure out, was he... Was he God? Was he, was he like a bit crazy? And he thought he was God? Because that would make you crazy, right? If, uh, you know, if Josh suddenly came up to you tonight and said, I just, it's just been revealed to me that I'm actually God, we'd all think it got a bit loopy, right? Yeah. It is a bit rude. It would be true, right? It would be true, yeah. Or Jesus was deliberately trying to con his disciples. C.S. Lewis calls that. He was bad. He was either God, mad, or bad. And actually, Jesus doesn't leave any kind of other alternatives. And um, that's another thing for you to remember when you're talking to people. Because people want, just want to believe that Jesus is a good teacher, a good moral teacher, had some great things to say and some, some good lessons for us to all to learn and to follow. But Jesus didn't actually want to leave us with that option. He wanted to make sure that people knew, no, 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 I am God. I am the Father. Um, one. And as we share, just remember that. It's very simple things for you to talk about. But people who are thinking about it are asking the question, well, is Jesus still alive? The resurrection stories, are they true? What do I need to do about it? Do I need to say sorry to God? Has my life caused God to be angry at me for my individualism, for my self-centeredness? And they're asking those questions. They're the big questions for people to engage with. Do I need to, do I need to follow? Do I need to do something about it? And we would say, yes, you do. But it's a wonderful decision, an amazing decision. If you do that, you'll find out who Jesus 
really is. But then, for most people, if not everybody in this room, you have already decided that Jesus is who he claims to be. You've decided to follow Jesus. But if you're honest with yourself, you're still asking the same question. Who is Jesus? Because we don't know him fully yet. And so we're still asking the question, who is Jesus? And I want to talk about that. I wanted to share those little bits ahead of time, but I want to talk about that. And uh, I have drawn you a diagram. Actually, I haven't drawn you a diagram. We had a little discussion. This kind of, we have a briefing for the service, and we, and, and we were on stage, and we were all stood on this stage here. And, um, and I said, I, I, want, I want this drawing. And, um, and they were kind of discussing who'd be best, kind of struggling for a name. And I said, well, I could do it. Do you know what the whole group said? No. Nobody trusts me. So Eilish has done this beautiful diagram here. You see, the person of Jesus is actually really hard to truly understand. He was perfectly man and perfectly God. Well, that's difficult to understand. He's part of the Trinity. One person, three persons, but only one person all at the same time. He's the creator of the universe, and yet he walked in the universe. It's slightly complicated, difficult. Some of his characteristics we can get, though truly understanding holiness or love or grace or joy or peace that he brings, they're not easy concepts. In fact, you could argue that when we start off in our Christian faith, we're kind of here and we're trying to work through layers to really understand who he is. And what I want to share, and Alice has kindly drawn 10 arrows for you, I want to share 10 things really quickly tonight that will help you to understand and answer the question, who is Jesus? And the decisions that we make, if you've decided to get to know Jesus and follow him, to make him your savior, i.e. accept what he did on the cross, to make him your Lord, i.e. he's the boss of your master of your life. If you've accepted him as your friend, you're going to do life with him. Not just some of your life, but all your life, every day, every moment of every life with him. If you decided to do that, I want to give you 10 things that will help you get to know this person who you're following, who you've decided to commit your life to, who I personally, it's the best decision I made a long, long time ago, well over 30 years ago, I made that decision. 10 things. I'm obviously going to do it really quickly. So if you're arty, you can draw this on your big page and then fill in all the arrows. If you're not very arty, you can just make a list. I can guarantee Jason Street's making a list, because Jason Street likes list. But you can, if you're arty, do this. Thing. Going through the different layers to understand. Oh, look at Joe. Joe's trying. Are you going to try, Joe? Joe's, Joe's going to try. Unfortunately, Joe, the sentences are quite big. All right, number one. If you're going to know Jesus well, you need to decide to believe who Jesus claims to be. You just need to decide. He is who he says he is, and I'm done. No arguments. He is the Son of God. He is God himself. Him and the Father are one. And I put that first, and it's kind of basic, you might say. But without that absolutely base belief, it's really hard to move on anywhere else. Because your life is full of doubts about what you've decided about Jesus. You just have to decide it's true. Number two, you have to decide to become Jesus' disciple above all things. Above all things. I believe, meet a lot of believers, 
And they really love the idea of Jesus being their Savior and Lord and friend, as long as they can add him to their life. Yes, it's great. Jesus can help me. He can be with me in difficult times. He can support me. We can enjoy the good times, and he can do life with me. That's not the way it works. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 18, we read the calling of the first disciples. And it says this, Jesus, so Matthew 4, verse 18. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. They weren't just fishermen, they belonged to a fishing kind of enterprise. Their father was involved, they had staff, they had team. They were business owners, they were fishermen of renown, of, of means, of wealth. This, this was not Jesus asking two random fishermen who were casting their necks in and they had nothing else better to do. They had a future, a future that was going to involve with money and a good life. And Jesus said, come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And he says this, at once they left their nets and followed them. Going on from there, he saw two, two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, again in the business of fishermen. And they were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. And Jesus called to them. And immediately they left their nets and their father and followed him. If you're going to get to know Jesus, it has to be all in. All in. And one of the saddest things I see is people who want to be Christians, but they're not all in. And actually, they never really get to know Jesus. The very person they're trying to follow. It's just, it's just a struggle for them. Because what they actually do, and I haven't done this, is they kind of bounce off the first layers all the time. You just can't get through it. Because Jesus says, I'm here available. You just seek me with all your heart. And then you'll find me. Then you'll find... Number three, you need to decide to learn more about Jesus. You need to decide to learn more about Jesus. Psalm 119, which is my wife's favorite psalm, but not mine because it's too long. It is, isn't it? Psalm 119, it's just too long, right? It's good. It's still, still quite long, couldn't they? They could have done 153 psalms and chopped it up. It would have been much, much simpler. It's Psalm 119. I'm just waffling while I find the verse in case you didn't know what I was doing. Psalm 119. It's probably behind me, isn't it, already? Yeah, there you go. Psalm 119, verse 105. There you go, 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet, a light for my path. I have taken an oath and confirm it that I will follow your righteous laws. I'm going to study and find out what your righteous laws are, and I'm going to follow them. I'm going to ask other people who are older and wiser than me. I'm going to listen to teaching of people who are good Bible teachers, are good scholars who can inspire me and help me understand Scripture. I am going to seek out knowledge about God. I mentioned in one of my sermons not that long ago, if you have Bibles, they should wear out. Now, I know if you do it on the phone, you can't wear out a phone, but, but you, you get the principle, right? You should wear out the things that will help you learn about Jesus. Having a quiet time is not for God. It's for you, and it's for me, so that we can get to know the person of Jesus. And if you want your faith to grow, getting to know the person of Jesus through Scripture is not an option. It's not an option. It's really not. And we need to do that. We need to seek to understand, and we also need to memorize. Now, 
Memorizing scripture is important, but memory happens in three different ways. You can, mem- you can memorize concepts. That's really important, right? Concept of grace, the concept of God loves, the concept that Jesus died for our sins. They're concepts, right? They're so important for you as a Christian to remember these things and for them to be part of your life. And then there's kind of detail, like verses, like we're more in conquerors. Or God works everything for the good of those who love him. Or the one that everybody knows, for God so loved the world. It's important to know proper scripture. Scripture has power in itself. It's God's word. And then, for those who are really good at it, you can learn the chapter and verse as well. I know a lot of verses. I don't know many chapter and verses. But I know a lot of verses. But you can do the lot. But don't worry if you can't know the chapter and verse. Still memorize concept and verse. That will so help you know God in every in all situations number four you need to decide to pray talk to god listen to him and if you come here often enough you'll hear you'll hear it often said and i will say often to you 1 thessalonians 5 verse 17 paul writes be joyful always pray continually ephesians 6 18 says and you and pray in the spirit in all occasions this talking relationship with jesus is supposed to be ongoing it's not Yes, it should be in a quiet time, in a time to hang out with God, but it should be ongoing every day in every situation. You're thanking God for this, asking God for that. You know, when you're meeting a new client, God, just help me with this client. Make her do, may I do a good job, and may, if I get a chance, just to share something of my faith. It should be ongoing in your life. You know, a dentist, every new patient, God, just help me. God, just help me. And it should be kind of in your heart and on your mind. And if you will do this, it gives God opportunity to speak to you in the situation, but also about himself over and over again. The more that conversation is going, more prayer is going. If you don't like the word prayer, just say ongoing conversation with God, okay? Prayer's scary, scrap the word. Ongoing conversation with God, it's the same thing. And, it will, and that will help you be drawn and understand the person of Jesus. Number five, I'm doing good, right? Number five, decide to believe God's promises are true for me. Decide to believe God's promises are true for me. 2 Corinthians 1 verse 20. Says, oh no, I will I'll read it. 2 Corinthians 10 verse, verse 5. Did I say 20? Verse 5. There you go. Thank you. Weren't they good? Did you see they actually altered my mistake? I'm impressed. Who's on there? It's Lydia, isn't it? Good job, Lydia. I'm impressed. Um, So 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5. It says this. We demolish arguments and every pretense that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. We take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ and we will be Ready to, to punish every act of disobedience. Only your obedience is complete. We need to be completely... Now I'm in the wrong one. 2 Corinthians 1.20. Why don't you stop me, Lydia? That's the next one, isn't it? Yeah. 2 Corinthians 1.20. 2 Corinthians 1.20. Are you ready? This is, this is a proper one. Right. So we're talking about believe. Decide to believe. To believe God's promises are true for me. 2 Corinthians 1 verse 20. I'm back on track. It's all good. I am going on holiday on Tuesday. It will be better when I get back. It says this. 
For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And through him, the are many spoken by us to the glory of God. We need to decide to believe God's promises are for me. For me. Jesus promised to be with you to the very end of the age. I forever and ever and ever. If you ever, ever hear yourself saying, God isn't with me or God seems far away, you need to tell your heart and your feelings, it's a lie. Because God has promised. It's done. It's a yes and amen in Jesus. And he will not break his promise. He'll always be with you in every circumstance. He'll never be there. Do you know that heaven is your home? It's a promise. If you follow Jesus, God, Jesus has promised to take you there and to prepare a place for you, John chapter 14, to prepare a place for you to be, to build a room or a mansion, depending on the translation. Uh, for me personally, spaceport, but anyway, I said that's a lot, but it's really fun. Anyway, but something, but God has promised. But that promise is true. It means when Jesus said, store reaches up in heaven... The reason why that's so important is heaven's going to be around for a long time. That's our true home. Believe in the promise that heaven's your home and you'll be there for eternity living for him now. But yet storing up treasure in heaven is important. If you talk to Jason Street, the financial, he will tell you that you need to save up for your pension when you're young and do it all your life because compound interest is an amazing thing. And it's true. It is true. If you also, if you talk to Jason long enough, he would also say, but even better than that, he's storing up a treasure in heaven because that will last for all eternity. Because it actually is important as here is, I'm not saying don't save up your pension or anything like that, but what I'm saying is there are more important things than financial security here on earth. It's storing up things in heaven. But it, it, you'll only do that if you stand on the promise and believe it to be true for you. Not for somebody else, but for you. And there's zillions of promises in the Bible. Number six. You kind of got a hint of this one. Decide to live in obedience to God. This is the 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. Verse that I said before. We demolish arguments and every pretense that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And we will be ready to punish every act of disobedience once your obedience is complete. We need to decide to be obedient to God. If we're going to get to know Jesus. Which means that we have to decide to do what God tells us even if we don't want to. And even if we don't feel like it's what we want to do. And again, one of the saddest things I think pastors have to deal with, I have to deal with with people, is people that want to follow Jesus and do their own thing. Because that's only a pathway for hardship and a separation from God in their life. And they will miss him. They might not be able to explain it, but they will miss him terribly in their life, in this life and in the life to come. Obedience is about each one of us getting to know Jesus. And as he said in John 10.10, 10, that we may live a full life and a fulfilled life, a life with purpose and meaning. If you want to know Jesus, you have to be obedient to what God calls and asks us to do. In thought, it always begins in the head. Thought and in word, what we say, watch what we say and how we say it, as well as indeed in our actions. And my advice is, if in doubt, do the righteous thing. You know, this is a 50-50 decision. Which way should we go? On the safe side of righteousness is the answer to that one. Not on the, the risky side of righteousness. Number seven. 
Decide to be in the fellowship of believers. Decide to be in the fellowship of believers. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. The writer of Hebrews says this. It says, let us draw near to God with us and see your heart. Having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and have our bodies washed with pure waters. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who's promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. And then Paul writes, obviously you can only do this if you actually meet each other. So he says, and let us... Uh, and, and let us not give up meeting together, as some of you are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. We should decide to be in fellowship, and decide to be together, friends. Now, I have discussion with odd people occasionally about friends. Now, we're not going to be best friends with everybody, right? We're just not. Because let's face it, some people wind us up, right? It's true. Even Christians wind us up occasionally. Because from our perspective, they're foolish. Yeah? Is it just me? I'm, I'm the only person. No. But we need to love them and be in fellowship with them. Because God loves them and God is in fellowship with them. And the Holy Spirit lives in them and their flaws as much as he lives in our life. And guess what? With our flaws as well. I remind myself often when I meet somebody that's winding me up, well, I'm full of flaws as well, so I should have grace and mercy and love. They might never be my best friend, but they can be a friend. Can you see the difference? But we need to decide to be in fellowship with each other in the family, the Christian family, the local family. It's called church. It's not just because it's the right thing to do. It's because it's the best thing to do. We need to make it a priority. And listen carefully, in every season of life. And if you've been here long enough, you'll know that we encourage people with every part of our being. When you're going through a tough season and you don't feel like coming to church, that's the very time you should be in the middle of the fellowship of Christ in the believers that can support and help you and come around you. That's come, come cry, come sit quietly, come do whatever you need to do, but come. Come and be in the fellowship of believers and help God to be... God to minister you through the people around you. Number eight, decide to be available. Decide to be available. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7. Um, Paul writes, 12, verse 7. Paul writes, it says, Now to each one, the manifestation or the, the outworking of the Spirit is given for the common good. Common good. We all have something to bring Something to, we need to make that available to Jesus and to his church in particular. And uh, we need to note two things. We need to come and help and serve, but we also need to come and be helped and be served. Now, all of us tend to go on one side or the other when we've been available. Some people are available to serve. It's like, I want to help people. I want to help you. I want to serve you. And that's them. MRT. If you ever... Go and help them. Wow. You get this kind of pushback. No, I'm fine. I am an island within myself. I am perfect in every way. I don't need any help ever. That's a lie. And if you feel like that, stop it. Can I say that? You need to be available. When people want to help you, let them help you. 
Let them help you. Let them serve you with their gifts and skills. You know, all of us are good at some stuff and bad at other stuff. The wise amongst you will realize and recognize that and open your heart and life to all those who can help you with the stuff you're just not good at. And guess what? Having practiced that for about 20 years is brilliant. I send out letters and all sorts of stuff, and they're amazing because somebody else writes them for me. That's why it sounds so good. Obviously, I do read them and check them before I send. Apart from cards, if you get a handwritten card, that's all my own work. And you know that because you can't read it. <laughs> so you know it's all my own work? I have actually done it myself. And, um, but, uh, and for those of you who want to receive the whole time, stop it. You need to serve. God has given great gifts and skills in your life. Everybody. There's no exceptions. And we, as a fellowship, are the worst for it if you don't come and bring and give. And as we give and receive, as we serve and are served, then an amazing community, the community of God, arise in all its wholeness and fullness. But as you're available, it will cost you. It will cost you. Serving is a costly business. It'll cost you time. It'll cost you money. It'll be worth it, but it will cost you. And um, but it's the only way to get to know Jesus properly is to open your life to be available and to spend that cost, to have that cost in your life. Number nine. Danny's up. So I must be out of time. Number nine, we need to decide to be ambassadors. Decide to be ambassadors. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 20 says, verse 20, where's 20? 20? See on the screen behind me? It is, isn't it? I implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin, so, in, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I missed the first bit. I'm going to read it from my passage. That's far too hard. You're too quick. Um, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. We're counting men's sins against them. And he who committed to us this message of reconciliation, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as through Christ we're making his appeal through us. And we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. We need to, if we're going to get to know Jesus well, represent him in every area of our life as an ambassador. In all situations, all of the time. And actually, it's a pretty difficult ask. Church may be quite easy. Depending on your work, work might not be too hard for you. Home life, well, that has its issues. Children play up, tempers get short, sleep is low, you know, that kind of thing. On the football pitch, who plays football? Honestly, football player, it's amazing what happens on a football pitch to young men when they're playing football. Suddenly these words come out of people's mouths that you just didn't expect it. It's like, what happened to you? You were a Christian like, and they come off the pitch and they're all polite and nice again. No, 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 no. Your ambassador's even on a football pitch. Even on a football pitch. I, I can't think of a girl example, I'm sorry. But girls, you think of your, you know, whatever, whatever's an appropriate thing for the girls. Where chips are down, you kind of forget you're a Christian, kind of. The next Boxing Day sale. Next, so there you go. Don't go to Boxing Day sale with Alex. Things will come. 
It's not good. Elbows out. There you go. If you don't know Jesus well, this over And finally, number 10, before I finish with the scripture, it says this. Decide to help others to find Jesus. Decide to help others to find Jesus. If I'm honest, I know it's last on my list. But if you want to get to know Jesus, you need to do this. There is nothing more inspiring to be in the presence of the Spirit when God is saving and cleaning somebody's life for the very first time. It is amazing when something of heaven touches somebody else's life. Hebrews 10 verse verse 9. Hebrews 10 verse 9. Is that right? Oh, goodness gracious me. No, that's not right at all, is it? Hebrews 10 verse something. No, I know why. It's Romans 10. Lydia, why don't you tell me it's Romans 10? Why did I put Hebrews 10 down? It's Romans 10. I'm going on holiday. I will be better to get back. <laughs> Romans 10 verse 9. There we go. Good? All good. As it come on the screen. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. It is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. As the scripture says, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. For there's no difference between Jew and Greek. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on his name. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? How can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without somebody preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. There's probably more than 10, but I've given you 10 ways to get to know Jesus better. And my heart and prayer is not just this summer, but in every moment of your life, that you will say, I want to get to know Jesus better and I recognize I need to keep doing these things and pressing in and pressing in and pressing in and as you do that as you get older and older you'll get wiser and wiser and deeper and deeper and the faith that was real will get depth and depth and greater depth inside Luke actually concludes his little section after he records this conversation that Jesus has He recalls a conversation in Luke chapter 9, um, in verse 16 through to 20. And then Jesus says, I'm going to die. And then he says this, verse 23, he says this. Then he said to them, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up the cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit his very self? If everyone is ashamed of me, my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and the glory of his Father and his holy angels. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world yet lose or forfeit his very self or forfeit his soul, as the older versions say? God came and sent his Son Jesus to die for you so you could get to know him. So the most important thing in life, your very soul will be saved by him 
for all eternity. Jesus is not just a good idea or kind of important. He is the most important person who's ever lived. The most important concept that he brought on earth, the kingdom of heaven is near, is the most important concept. And I want to encourage you with all my heart and all my soul, seek after him and decide to do these things every day of your life. And as you do that, you'll get to know Jesus closer and closer and all his promises in Jesus' name. Father, I thank you so much for Jesus. Father, help us to share wherever people are on the journey, whether they're You know, they don't really know who Jesus is at all or whether they know something. Father, help us to share the words, the good news, to be the feet of good news to them, Father, I pray. But Father, once we decided to follow you, help us to press in. There is so much more to know about you, about your character, your wisdom, who you are, God, your nature. Father, help us to press in and keep going, Father, because as we do that, our faith will be confirmed over and over again in one day. Father, we will pass from one life to another as stepping through a doorway. So, Father, help us to do this, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.